we are going to take a little break today and get our eyes on something a little new just for a session or so. But go ahead and gra- go ahead and, and uh, we've been in Ephesians. Go ahead to Ephesians 6. We'll go ahead with this passage. Ephesians 6. So we've just been learning practical theology in so many different spheres. Um, remember, without the chapters, Paul is really, uh, without the chapter breaks, Paul is really, he, he is teaching on in, 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 in depth on so many different spheres, marriage, children, workplace. And uh, that is where we're going to continue today with, um, with something a little new. But go ahead, uh, we're in Ephesians 6, verse 5. And I'm going to go ahead and read this for you down to verse 9. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, This he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So we're going to kind of go through the concept of work today. But if you could, what would you say? How would you describe uh, the attitude of society towards the concept of work? Checklist activity, activity, meaning something just to get done, just to get by. That's right. (laughs) Get it done, right? (laughs) <laughs> bare minimum mm-hmm. okay how would we describe right oh jesse what do you mm, that's good that's good i had i was i was thinking about that too how would we describe a biblical mindset towards work oh to the glory of god uh huh. Oh yeah. Amen. Amen. And as we describe those, I want you to bear in mind, right? You you really have the world's concept, the world's mindset of the concept of work, and you have a biblical mindset of the concept of work. But bear in mind, I, I think it's very easy. It's very easy to think about the attitude of what we think about work. Um, uh, well, it's very easy to think about maybe what the world thinks about work, right? The concept of work. And it's very easy for those concepts to even leaven a little bit, to, to kind of pour into your own lifestyle, right? What you might think about it. And so we know what the world wants, what the world desires, uh, but what does God desire? What does God want? And so uh, as, as, as we think about those things, you ask yourself, which vision of the concept of work do you desire? Which one do you depict as good, right? And so while we are together today, what I want to prove is primarily two things. Is this. 
work is morally good, right? Work is morally good. I have so much content to go over today. It's ridiculous. We're not going to get it all done. And work is more... I'm not writing too small. More exhaustive than we think. Some of you might know where I'm going. Some of you are probably still up in the air about that, but that's okay. So we're definitely going to get into the exegesis of this text in Ephesians, but we won't be getting into it today, sadly. Um, But what I wanted to do is take a step back from, right, and, and try to... Uh, attempt to lay a framework of the concept of work uh, and a concept of labor, a theology of work, a theology of labor today. And so by way of introduction, I wanted to caution us as we enter to the study of labor, uh, and I wanted to make sure that we remove any kind of roadblocks that might hinder us or hinder our thinking when it comes to the idea of work or labor And so our goal today is to put before us and to go away with the understanding that the Bible's theology, a biblical theology of labor of work, is not only or merely concerned with a nine-to-five type, right, of what you do for a limited time, a limited part of the day, uh, for uh, roughly five days a week, you know, on your day-to-day basis. And the biblical theology of work should not be Uh, viewed as one sphere of labor that is separate or exists apart from, right, the rest of life's responsibilities, right? It's very easy, I think, as we we think about, well, theology of labor is going to tell me, like, how I do my nine-to-five job. That's not what we're going to talk about, right? It's much bigger than that. It's much more exhaustive than we think, right, this theology of labor. And so I want to go to—I want to bring us to a passage— What we just saw in Ephesians is that the motivation of working is this. In Ephesians 6, 6, 8, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, right? His conscience is bound to the judgment seat of Christ. Knowing what we do in the body, we are going to to receive exactly. uh, uh, God will be vindicated and giving us exactly what we uh, uh, exactly uh, with with what we did on earth. But go to this passage with that in mind. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5.10. And uh, uh, who can read this for me? You got it? Who said that? You said that? Okay, okay, amen. All right, Pastor Lynn. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And, and, and that verse, it continues by saying this, Therefore, knowing, bearing in mind your conscience, bearing witness to the fact, knowing the fear of the Lord, and that's going back to the judgment seat of Christ in the sentence before, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And so when we think about a theology of work, it's not just the, the nine to five, as it says, you know, whether slave or free, you are to be obedient to the Lord. Um, but it's 
you're going to give an account of the entirety of your lives. So when we talk about the theology of work and labor, we're, we're thinking big picture, not just one section of your life, but all of it, right? And so this lesson, it certainly flows from what we've been studying. We've been studying the, really the lordship of Christ in the home. Uh, and what I want to put before us is this biblical concept that the lordship of Christ, it permeates every sphere of life, right? Not just your partial, not just your personal when, when, when you became a Christian, but it, it, it permeates your marriage, right? And that's work. It permeates the church, and we have work to do. It permeates uh, your workplace, your, how you raise your children. All of these things, uh, we will have to give an account. And so to get a better view of, this, of, of labor, we have to go to the beginning. We have to go to the roots of labor. And I want to bear in mind a couple of passages, and I'll read them for you here. Psalm one fifteen sixteen says this, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. And some themes will probably strike your mind as, okay, I, I, I think I know what he's talking about, where, where that's mentioned. And Psalm 8, 3 through 9 says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man, that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God. And this is in Psalms. You, uh, you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Did you recognize any concepts or any, any, any themes in that text? Anything come, out, anything, anything come out at you when we are going through that? Ruling? Amen. And where, do we, where, where, does, where, does, where does that appear? Genesis. That God has put all things under our feet, the, 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 the animal kingdom. Uh, not just that, but he says that God has given earth to men. And so when we are thinking about theology of work, we want to know where does it begin? Who does it begin with? How does it apply to us? And why should we do it, right? Why should we do it? And so we're going to talk about creation, uh, theology of work before the fall, right? This is, this is uh, going to be before sin entered the world. And so where do we see this theology of work? Where do we see it beginning? Or maybe a better question might be, who do we see it beginning with? Huh? God, I don't know. Yeah, no, we see the beginning of history. It opens with God working, right? It's not, it's not, we, the, the beginning of history opens with its eyes on God and he is working. And so for those who are interested in why we work or the value of work, uh, the argument really makes itself, right? Are you an imitator of God? Are you commanded to uh, are you com- are you are you're commanded to be an imitator of God? You're made in the image of God, and God. When we open up on the on the stage of creation, God is working and and putting everything into place. And so, we have God as imitators of as as image bearers of God. We are called to imitate God, seeing Him on the stage and, and creation and and making everything and designing everything is 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 already one motivation. 
Uh, it's every, it's, it's the only real motivation that we need, uh, for work. Why we work is because God also works. And we see this, that God is not only just at work in creation, is he? Right? We hear, we, you, go to, you go to Genesis 2, and it says that God was creating for six days, and then on the seventh day he rested. God may have finished, finished uh, working in creation on the seventh day. But John 5.17 says this, that my Father is at work until now. He is always at work, and not just in creation, but in redemption. Right? That the Father is even at work in redemption. And let me know if you have any questions, okay? And so when we think about God is our ultimate example, all of work starts with him. Our theology of work starts with who God is, and he is our first example of work, of someone putting these things together. And so the, the character of work in creation, what is the character of work? And when we think about these, when we talk about the character of work, as image bearers of God and those who are called to be imitators of God, whatever, whatever attributes of God, they, um, not all of them will, will carry over into the image bearer, but some of them do. Those are the communicable attributes of God. And so his creativity also pours over into the life of the image bearer. And so we, we see this. We see it worked out in, in mankind up until this day. That man is so creative, right? I mean, just think about a, a, a water bottle or a cup. Adam wouldn't have known what this was, right? But he would think it's amazing. Praise God, you guys have cups, you know, or lights. You know what I'm saying? He would look at these lights. He's like, are those, are those stars? You know, what are these things that you guys have here? You know, um, but we would say, no, a man created those lights and he fixed them here. We can turn them on and off whenever we want. Pretty incredible. So God is, so even creativity is being poured over uh, into the life of image bearers. And we see this being worked out by Christians and non-Christians. We reflect the fact that we know God, we've been made in his image just by our creativity. And so uh, let me know if you have any questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible that the invisible qualities and character of God can be made, can be made visible uh, in his creation, through his creation. You can see his character through his visible image bearers. And that's exactly what we're called to do. We are to go through the world. And that was the, one of the, what the called the cultural mandate. We go, go through the world filling the dry land with the glory of God. Visible image bearers reflecting the invisible nature and character of God. But the character of work in creation, right? His work is skillfully done. His work is skillful. So when we think about, we think about some of the ways, the communicable attributes of God, his creativity and different things that carry over to, to the life of his image bearers. Uh, we are to take some of these things into account. Not only are we to, we are to be uh, creative, but we are to be skillful uh, in our work. Not just creative in our work, but skillful. His work is so skillful that it even provokes us to marvel. It's so complex. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. They're, they're just preaching his name. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. They reflect his glory. The heavens with other surrounding objects 
uh, of God's creative handiwork, uh, they magnify God's majesty, his supremacy, that he is above all things, that he is the highest, he is the fountainhead of all creation, and the world is magnifying his name. And there are certain aspects of God's work that we are to imitate as we just kept as we were just speaking about and these are some of the first thing the bible tells us that he's creative that god is skillful in his work and so should we that god's work is competent that god's work is efficient his work is caring work it, 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 his work is is made in such a way that it displays the kindness of god it is work that provides for others. It blesses others. It meets the needs of others. Uh, and, his, and his work makes life possible for others. And as we just stated, one of our first, first points is that work is morally good. Work is morally good. One theologian says that God assigned Adam and Eve their tasks before the curse, not after right? So work, right? This mundane thing that we have to do is not assigned after the curse as if it was a curse, as if it was something that we should dread and not like to do. But it was at the beginning a gift. It was a blessing of God. Yes, brother. Amen. Amen. She's good. I saw those pictures. That was good. That was that that's 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 imitating our creator. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Very, it, it's a very interesting thought because, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, a lot of times we're working and we're working and we're working. We want to save up money and then we want to retire. Uh, you know, we, we, we want to stop working. We want to live to stop working in such a way that we can live the rest of our life in some kind of glory. But, I mean, let me, I got to spoil it for you. In glory... We will be working. I mean, you're you're gonna pick up exactly. You know what I mean. You're gonna pick up what you finished. I mean, it's so. I mean, the goal of li- right, the goal of life is not to like work really hard and I'm just gonna like live ten years, for, you know, and do what I want to do, you know. But God gave us work not as something just to like throw aside, but it's something to always be engaged in. It was a blessing from the beginning, not a cold drudgery. It was a gift from God. That's right. That's right. Hey, we're getting into that. Amen. Amen. That's true. So when we work, we imitate God. We imitate God when we work. Unbelievers do that too. They deny God, but they know God. They're made in the image of God. They do, they do many things. Uh, they do many things and imitate God in such a way. Um, 
that we are to, uh, and, and this is and this is the the work of God's redeemed people to go and reveal that to them and preach the gospel to them, so that that knowledge would be awakened in them and they might be saved by Christ and the cross. And so, how does God's work? We say that God's work it blesses people, it blesses it. it, it his work is kind. It cares for other people. It extends. To uh, it, it doesn't. It's not just. It doesn't just necessarily provide for itself, but it blesses other people. Uh, how do we see this in creation? When God began to create things, how do we see that God's work blesses other people? What are some examples? Water. Amen. Food. God gave us some oxygen. I mean, he. He, he gave vegetation for all the animals. He gave vegetation for mankind. He gave the gift of Eve to be a suitable helper for Adam. I mean, God's work was just, it, it, it was blessing creation. Uh, he was giving food for every living thing. It provided for, uh, for not, just, uh, not just one person necessarily, but it, 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 God is in the work of provision even from the beginning that he wanted to bless mankind and so the only way so god has given us god has given us a cultural mandate do you want know do we know what we're talking about when, when we mention the cultural mandate what theologians call the cultural mandate no okay genesis 1 26 27 28 people who are given the cultural mandate and it's theologians have have rendered this term uh, the cultural mandate is something that God has given, not to the animal kingdom, but to those who bear the image of God. Verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God. This is the triune God creating men to bear his image. Uh, and he created him, uh, and then it says, male and female, he created them. Verse 28 is, and this is what we, this is what we see, that not just a rule in verse 26, which expresses the, the concept of dominion over everything, but verse 28, this is the cultural mandate, the command that God gave to man to do, to accomplish in the world. Verse 28 says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so not, God's work is not just, He's not in the work of provision where God is, He's, 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 he's incredibly uh, kind in his provision to all of man. Like I said, he gave the gift of Eve to be a suitable helper for Adam. And so the only way for the cultural mandate to be fulfilled is by God's design in families, in marriage. In marriage is how God, is how God sees this plan being worked out uh, in history. And for this reason, and for this reason, because it was women, because the God's design was dependent on Adam having a wife, it was not good that he was alone because he could not fulfill this, this, this divine task. What could Adam do without his wife? 
when it came to this task? And how could he fulfill his divine task of filling the earth with the glory of God, being fruitful and multiply without his wife? And so our wives play an integral role, right? An interdependent role in the accomplishment of this worldwide mission, right? To teach and turn the eyes of humanity to the glories of God. Incredible. Kind of off topic, but I do believe that the, the first great commission to all of those who are in Adam was the cultural mandate. This right here. That God wanted those who bear his image to fill the dry lands as the waters cover the sea. As the, to fill the dry lands with the knowledge and glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Right? I don't know if you've seen how the waters cover the sea, but they cover the sea completely. <laughs> completely. Right? It, we, it's profound, I know. Think on that. Think on that. And that we are given another great commission in, in the last Adam. Think of it. Think of it. That what, where the image of God was distorted by sin in the first Adam, the second Adam came to renew and came to fulfill. God wanted his people to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Fill all dry land with the knowledge and the glory of God. But sin has so, so distorted us that the second Adam had to come and renew this. He had to renew the image of God in man and tell them, go out into all the world and finish what God had told you to do in the beginning. And so, not only do we see that God wants to fill the earth with his glory, with little image bearers, little priests and kings. You know, it's, 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 the picture is a cosmic temple that God is dwelling with his people and they're just offering up sacrifices of worship and praise and filling the earth with his, with his glory. God is putting his image in the world so that it reflects his nature and character. The invisible nature of God being reflected through the visible uh, image bearers of God. And so from the beginning, we, not only do we see that God wants to do this, but he wants to do it in a certain way. Uh, husbands and wives are integral to the plan that God wants to do. And work and roles are distinguished by gender. Not only this, is, this isn't just a, a New Testament theme when we talk about uh, like husbands leading uh, and, 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 and husbands having authority in their family and being the head of their family. But this is, a, this is something that God has, has established Uh, even from the beginning, right? That Adam was given this great task, but was initially alone. And God saw that it was not good, and he created for Adam a suitable helper for him. And so he would be the head of his family, but together they would rule the world and subdue it through mankind. And so how important is family in God's design? Right? The pre-curse narrative, Genesis 1 through 2, before the curse had come in Genesis 3, it presents the job of mankind to be accomplished in the family. Through the marriage. Through children. All of these things. Yes? What is this to say with regard to our single brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that... It, it's, I'm not saying that everyone has to be married or anything like that, but God has placed the kingdom of God in such a way that uh, even in the Old Testament that there were single people uh, and w- within, the, within the family of God that not everyone, uh, God, it wasn't God's design for everyone to be married. But you do see that the only way we can be fruitful and multiply is by marriage, right? And so in this, 
God has created God has created his the, his family and the people who he dwells with who uh, who reflect his character that they are all one family not a command necessarily for everyone to be married because we see different instances in the Bible where God's design wasn't that for some people and so uh, but we do see that it does make uh, gender role distinctions even in marriage right God says that. Even in marriage, it, it's, it's, a, it's a male and a female is how God created them. This is how God wanted them to be fruitful. This is how God wanted them to multiply only within the context of family. And so if you're going to enter into a family, uh, we know that even in today's world that the Great Commission cannot be if we're going to enter into a family or enter into marriage, the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled in a male-to-male relationship. The Great Commission cannot be fulfilled in a female-to-female relationship. How can you be fruitful and multiply in that? You can't, right? With, it's, it's so tied in with God's design that only in such a way does it work, right? Yes, brother. Oh, yeah, this is, oh, yeah, and I would say that they didn't even have to do that in here, right? We would, we would, we, like, we would say that, that missionaries didn't even exist in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. God was the first missionary, right? He went after Adam and Eve, went to find them, and he saved them in that effort. And so this is, there, there is no realm within this that is not spiritual, there's no realm in this that's not worship, right? But it doesn't have, since everyone knows God, no one, they're not separated from God in any way, right? There's no point for evangelism. There's no point for missions, right? As John Piper says, missions exist where worship doesn't, and they were caught up in the worship of God even from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. And so in this, in this stage where men are not separated from God, there's no need to evangelize, right? But that's what I saying about Christ, where where the sin, where sin has distorted the image bearers, Christ has come to renew it, right? And He gave us the same task: go into all nations, right? Baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, right? And that He is with us to the end of the age. But He wants us to go into all the nations and fill it with the knowledge of God, the saving knowledge of God in Christ, right? Does that make sense? Does that help? Amen. Amen. It really is incredible to think about that there weren't any missions, right? There weren't any missions. There weren't there was there wasn't a missionary, right? But when but before the curse had entered the world. But after it did, God was the first missionary. As he went after, you know, as, as he went after Adam and Eve and after he uh, confronted them with their sin and clothed them by the sacrifice. And so this is how God first established the world. That there would be marriage, that there would be lots of little children. And fast forward 6,000 years, post-sin, post-Genesis 3, and what has entered into it? Divorce, adultery, Orphans, right? Parentless children. There's children who are left alone and 
There's no one to take care of them. Uh, no one to look after them. Their mother and father is gone. Uh, their same-sex marriage. You can see how sin has so distorted everything that God had first uh, created and established. And so we can see that how we can see how the world is doing and accomplishing the cultural mandate today, right? So think of it. So we see that in the beginning, God gave them a command. He gave them a job, right? We see that being worked out, Adam being a tiller of the garden in, in Genesis 2.15. But he told them at the beginning to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, have dominion. And this was, this was the first job that God gave mankind, right? And so just think of that. That God is not merely going to be the judge of your 9 to 5 job, right? This is a theology of work, not just a theology of how to do your 9 to 5, right? Not just of how to do this one sphere of life and responsibility. But God is going to be your judge uh, uh, in every sphere of your life. And this is your labor before God, right? And, and I think that it actually ties really well into what we're studying in Ephesians, is that in Ephesians 5 and 6, we see the people of God dwelling with God. We see marriage. We see children as well as jobs to provide for ourselves and our families. And so how many of those things are given to us by God to to perform in the beginning? How many of those things that I just mentioned are given to us by God in the beginning? All of them. All of them. I mean, in Christ, everything that God gave us in the beginning is, is reinstated as it were. We see all of these things. We are still, just because sin is into the world, it hasn't abrogated the cultural mandate. And so God is still pursuing these things. He's still, he, he, he still wants us to pursue uh, marriage. And he still wants us to pursue. And, you're, and, and to your question, I believe that a reason is because of sin entered the world. You know, it did. It, it distorted so many things. Um, I guess I just was struck by the direction you were going because I wanted to be yeah. careful. Cultural mandate. Cultural mandate. Yeah. So as not to leave our single brothers and sisters feeling as though they have neglected that. Sure. Yeah. No, no, no. I completely agree with that. And I I, I do believe it's because sin has entered the world and distorted it in such a way that um, uh, I I don't believe, we don't, and there's not enough in the Bible to really talk about this, but things would be much different had sin not entered the world. You know what I'm saying? The, the the picture of family would be the picture families would be perfect before fall before sin and so you wouldn't have divorce right um, and so there's some things in there that uh, there's some things in there that we can kind of speculate about but we see in the New Testament this is after sin has has occurred that um, we, we we see a lot of those instances and so some of those things we can only speculate about uh, you know there's not a lot of doctrine that kind of Gets into those things, you know. In a sense, I think it reinstates it, though it's fallen. You know, though 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 men is men is fallen. Though sin has entered the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, amen. Amen. But it's going to get it's going to be carried out in marriages. It's going to be carried out in the context of family, whether you're a single or not in our context right now. Yeah. Right. I got great Oprah says uh, the one who uh, finds women's wisdom or gets wisdom attains the reward of glory. Amen. So I really see it as God blessing and purposing in two different ways. Right. One actually blessing through marriage and fulfilling yeah. and multiplying through fruitful discussion, mm-hmm. and another being fulfilling the purpose to which one is ultimately chosen by him. Arming you differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. 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 Two thousand years ago. And yet, his generation was not being fruitful and multiplying. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. I would say God is blessing in different ways Mm -hmm. based on that. He was blessed to fulfill that command, and others are being blessed to fulfill others. Right. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. That was good. So listen. So look at this. So coming from our context, from Ephesians to a theology of work, we see that. Everything is work. Mankind was given this task, and it includes so much that not one thing is left in isolation, right? It's not as if to say, this is work. This is marriage. Right? Marriage, right? We have children, and um, like church, for instance. And so when we think about a theology of work, what can be very easy, I think, in our culture is that we can compartmentalize work in such a way as to say this is work. And there's a certain amount of ethics that go into that, right? We can, we can easily in our mind compartmentalize work in such a way that we have a certain way that we're supposed to live and work here but not necessarily the same way here, right? Our, but our ethics, right, should carry over to all of this, and it should be work. And I think that it can be very, very, it can be very easy in our culture to, uh, to, to, for this facade of a higher ethic, right, that might be utilized in some areas, and it won't be utilized in other areas. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy, you know, because when you think about work, you're thinking about, oh, man, that nine to five. You're thinking about the five days a week. You're thinking about the weekend. You're thinking about all these different things. Yes. It, yeah, exactly. I, and I think that the single person would, would, his family would be within the church. That would be, that would be where he is. That would be where they would spend their time. That's where they would find their identity as a family in the New Testament. Yeah. So this diagram is going to be like a drug. And it's a, so it's a category, pomegranate and category. Right. Right. Um, right. So that's just, I saw you, I think I probably broke some different areas down and maybe 
Amen. Amen. Does this make sense? Do you see this happening? It can happen in your own life. It's happened in my life to where you have a certain ethic that will, that will okay, this is how you do work, right? Um, you, you can begin to build this mindset that at work I live like this. I, 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 I work like this. I live like this. At church, you know, you come to church, you raise your hands, you sing. This is what you do at church, you know. And then when you come back to your home, well, that's the place where I rest. You know, I come back home. Where's home? I don't have it. Children. Um, you come back home, right? You come back home, and this is the place where I rest. Right? I'm not at work. I just got home from work. It's like, what do you want me to do? You know? But no. That, that is your work. Your home. Your family. You know, within the church. For whether you're single, whether you're not. Whether in your church, it'll look different in the New Testament. But um, but but it's the, 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 there isn't a mindset, right, where we get home and it's just like, I kick my feet up, I'm no longer at work anymore, and you know what I'm saying? That's the thing that we're trying to kind of break the, the boundary or the barrier for that. Amen. 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 Is, that, is this making sense? Yeah. Making sense? Okay. Continually. That's and, right. And we shouldn't intentionally try to not continually do that in, in compartmentalizing and thinking that's just the way life is. Right. Right. Just that, so in every aspect, we ought to uh, uh, aspire to love the Lord with our heart, soul, and mind. Amen. And like I was saying earlier, that your job, right, you're going to give an account for how you, right, he says that knowing this, that we will receive back from the Lord the things that we did. It, it, it's not just that sphere, but as Second Corinthians 5.10 says, that all of the deeds done in the body, we will have to stand before God and give an account. So everything that we did, right, the entirety of your life, we're thinking big picture when we think about this. And I, I, think, you're, I think you're understanding it, though, because there's a, there's a very easy way for us to to say, well, this is work and that's not work. And, um, but God has given us uh, these commands, and we see in the church as they apply to marriages, as they apply to husbands and wives, children, you know, this is the, this is the place we are in, in in Ephesians. And so it's, it's extremely applicable. And um, let's see, it looks like I've got... Um, I got a little bit of time left, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll try to start this next section. Um, you really can't, what, what the Bible doesn't really talk about much is what, what would the blessings look like pre-fall, right? There's not like a huge list. But what you can do, if you want to do this on your own, is go to Deuteronomy 28 and see what the blessings look like right? If people would obey God. I mean, it's just peace and blessing everywhere. I mean, so if you just want a picture of what, picture that pre-fall, I mean, and how glorious blessings might be. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, just go into the, the, those, those covenants and see how God is, is just declaring the blessings for obedience and faithful covenant loyalty. Uh, and it's incredible. And, and, and by doing that, you can kind of get in a picture of you can kind of get a picture of what blessing might be and exceedingly uh, greater 
before the fall. We can only really kind of think about some of the things like that. And so how does the judgment from God, so sin has fallen into the world and it's distorted everything. How does the judgment of God over Adam's sin affect the work that they are to accomplish? How do we see that? How do we see that their work, how do we see their work being affected? Oh, yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. Amen. Amen. No, that's good. And even within this context, you see, as Brother was just saying, that the work of both and the work of both man and woman will be made more difficult, right? Go to Genesis three. Genesis three sixteen, because they had disobeyed the Lord and Adam followed his wife into sin, God had charged them both with um, with disobeying him, and he cursed their work. And he cursed this even pregnancy, uh, which is incredible. That verse 16 says this, to the woman, he said. And this is something that only the woman can do, right? Only women can get pregnant. This is her job. This is her role, something that she fulfills in the context of of marriage, I will greatly multiply, this is what God says to, to Eve, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, in pain shall you bring forth children. And that in childbirth literally means pregnancy. Uh, it, it means pregnancy all the way to term. So uh, it's, it's speaking about the whole process of pregnancy, not just uh, uh, the giving birth part, you know. As, as, as we might kind of tend to think. In pain shall you bring forth children. So, so uh, pain in childbirth, uh, pain, pain in pregnancy and carrying the child. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. And so this is the judgment of God going out on their work, right? Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Uh, really incredible, but you know what? There's uh, w- so what we what we do see in this is that is that women are going to to women are going to have uh, they're going to have much pain and pregnancy and bearing children. They're going to have the desire to cast away and remove their husband's authority from them, with an aspiration to dominate and to rule over and uh, and and act contrary to God's creative design in marriage. And um, I mean, we see this still happening. We see that this is happening, and um, uh, this is happening in the the wider culture and 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 what is uh, the surrounding context of where we are. And um, but notice this: that this judgment is not without mercy, right? God said that if they would disobey Him, that He would kill them, right? 
but this, that death that would take place because of sin was only spiritual. It should have been everything, right? They should have been wiped off the place of the earth because of their sin. But God was kind to them, right? So his judgment was not without mercy. He still allowed them to live even though they sinned, right? He still allowed them the physical privilege of taking, uh, uh, of breathing in and out the fresh air that God had put uh, in uh, that God had put on the world. And so it implies, what you see is that though things are cursed, what we see in this text is that it implies blessings still. The continuation of blessings. Yes, women will have so much pain in childbirth, but God is still giving them children. You see that? It's, it's not judgment without mercy. Uh, and so it's, God is still uh, pouring out his mercy in their lives. God is still providing work even though uh, even though the, the ground it will not willingly yield its strength to Adam as he is, he's called to cultivate and keep the ground, uh, he has to do that by the sweat of his brow. Um, but you see that God's mercy is not without judgment. And, uh, but, those, but these blessings now, now that, after the, now that after the fall has come, as sin is into the world, that the blessings are mixed with judgment. And we see that in our work today, do we not? We see that. It, 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 it is the sky that, that envelops everything, all of our tasks. They are mercies mixed with the word of God's judgment and cursing the ground. And whatever work that we are in, whatever child we're raising, we're going to see these in some degree uh, to another, right? Um, we're going to see the effects of the curse. Uh, from the beginning. Any questions? But the work goes on, right? We see this. I got, a, I got about five more minutes. We, we can get to this last part here. Uh, what's incredible is that the work still goes on, that God has given them the cultural mandate, and he's told them to be fruitful and multiply and to rule over and subdue, right? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue. Adam was, he, uh, in, in Genesis 2.15, the Lord told him, he put him in the garden of Eden, and he told him to cultivate it, and he told him to keep it. And in the Greek, and so this is the, this is the cultural mandate, kind of, it's, ref, it's expressing itself in different ways for the man, for the woman. Uh, but what you see is this. Even though, like we said earlier today, even though sin has entered the world, it has not abrogated what God wants to do in the cultural mandate. And you see this in Genesis 4-2 with their children, uh, which is really incredible. They take after the, the trades of their parents, and they're still uh, continuing with, uh, with this great work that God has given mankind to do. Though it's fallen and though sin has entered the world, uh, it, it was not made void. And so here you see two boys doing the work of their parents that was passed down to them. Right, Adam. He was to Adam was uh, he was in the Garden of Eden, cultivating and keeping. And within the Great Commission, they were to rule over and have dominion over the animal kingdom. And you see their children doing just that in uh, Genesis four two. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, right? So he was having dominion over the animals. But Cain was a tiller of the ground, doing exactly what Adam was doing. He was in the garden, keeping and cultivating the ground. And so their children are still in this uh, line of work. And it, of course, it develops throughout time. 
uh, uh, business and trading, all these things can be seen uh, within this context, though this is uh, coming from a much more primitive view of, of how this would work out. And so you see them cultivating, keeping the land, and having dominion and subduing. And so what's interesting is the difference between the two boys in how they live their lives. So what they did as their jobs, right? Uh, They were to do this to the Lord, right? And so as we keep on reading, it says this in verse 3, So it came about in the course of time, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord and the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And it goes on to say, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And what's incredible is this, is that James Hamilton, he has this quote. He says, What the brothers did in their day-to-day jobs as worship to God, what the brothers did reflected their character in general, and the Lord's response to their offerings was not limited to what they brought him necessarily, uh, but it extended to what was thereby revealed about the condition of their hearts. Uh, this passage, it's, it's been kind of interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting passage. Some people have debated about what exactly was the judgment of, um, of, of Cain? Um, but what you do see is that, the, is that Moses seems to make a difference between the offerings that were, uh, the offerings that were given to uh, the Lord, that were brought to him. And what Cain offered was uh, the fruit of the ground. It just very, in general, it just says he gave him some fruit, the fruit of the ground. And Abe or Abel, he brought the firstlings of his flock. That literally means the firstborn of his flock. And so what I think this this text means, and we'll end here, is that Cain and Abel both, both had something to bring the Lord, but it didn't come from a place of worship to God. So their their jobs were not done, or one of their jobs was not done with an eye to the worship of God. Right, and I, and I think that that's something that we can get into. We something that we could think about is that if Abel brought the Lord his firstborn, I mean this the the firstlings of his flock, and Cain brought the Lord, just it's just an offering. And what I think that says is this, and we'll go. What I think that says is that, however you work, if you're working to the Lord you're primarily concerned with the worship of God. You will bring your first fruits here. I'm not teaching tithing or anything like that. But you will bring, you will bring what, God, what God commands you to bring to him. It doesn't matter. But I think that with Cain, it was that he just brought kind of what was left over. Whereas one brought to the Lord first, the other made sure, this is kind of what I think, the other made sure that he was taken care of first and then whatever I have left over, I'll bring the Lord You know, and so I think that's probably, it could mean what this passage is saying, but we are out of time. 